Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here, as Joe already mentioned. I brought my tissues because I was quite the emotional mess this morning. Um, I've been gone for a little while, and I'm back. I feel good to be back, and I want to talk a little bit about what that uh, has looked for me these last many weeks. But I just want to preface where we're going to go for the next 30, 35 minutes or so um, so that you could, you could prepare your heart to receive something from God. Uh, Pastor Josh earlier said that it is a single word from God can change the, the trajectory of your life, and I, I believe that. And I think God really wants to do something in us today. And he wants to do something in how we respond to, uh, receive, understand this thing called eternal life that the Bible talks a lot about. In fact, you can have no background in the church at all, and you've probably run across the the verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. You know, that's the one they, get, they hold up at the football games, right? And if you ever bother to look that up, it's... It's a verse that says this, ish, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's God who loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And does anyone know who that son is? Jesus. Welcome to Renaissance. The answer is always Jesus. Yes. He gave his son Jesus and whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. I think in the church we have I'm going to start over. I don't think in the church. I know in the church we have the wrong understanding of what eternal life is. And I want to get to that um, as I kind of talk about my journey the last few weeks. So with your permission, I'd like to talk a little bit about what I've been doing for the last 12 weeks. What have you all been up to? Anything? So in mid-July, I took a sabbatical. The first sabbatical that I've ever taken, it was about 12 weeks off from my daily work here at the church. I didn't come into the office. I didn't do any of the preaching. I didn't do any of the staff meetings. Someone say hallelujah, hallelujah. None of the staff meetings, none of those things. In fact, if you were to ask me what I did on my sabbatical, I I slept an awful lot. Not long ago, when I started coming back um, on a Sunday, I was getting ready to come back full time. I poked in on a Sunday and I ran into a few people and a few people asked me, I think, Todd, you might have been one as well, but they asked me this question, are you ready to come back from your sabbatical? And um, I want to give you the real answer. I'm not going to give you the answer I probably gave Todd, <laughs> which was sure, I feel great about it. The, the real answer is this, yes, I'm happy and ready to come back and no, I'm not ready to come back. If you don't know me, I'll just give you a little backstory. I've, I've been in ministry 20 plus years in some capacity. Um, for the past eight years or so, I've been in full-time ministry leading this church called Renaissance. And Renaissance was a church plant that my wife and I started in our home with a few people in our basement. 
about 11 years ago or so, and then the church was successful by every metric that you can imagine. We seem to hit our numbers every year when it came to finances and giving. Thank you for that reminder, Joe. That is so true and appropriate. But our attendance would grow all the time too. This church doubled in size about every 18 months. And what that required of us was to get ahead of making room so that the people could come in. So we were adding more services or gathering times. I think one particular Easter a couple years ago, we had five services over two days and 1,200 people came to this little bitty church called Renaissance. It was growing fast. We were adding more staff. We were preaching more times. At some point I was preaching three times in the morning. And all that to say, at some point in the midst of all of that, I began to feel tired. We took on a building campaign, which means we were going to raise half a million dollars, borrow $1.2 million from the bank, and then build this new space that you're sitting in right here. We were going to do what we thought God was calling us to do. For two and a half years, we labored intensely into this project, and I gave everything I had to it. And I got tired. I got real tired. About two years ago, in fact, I remember going to some of the leaders in the church and I asked, would it be possible that I take a sabbatical? And the leadership at the time and myself, I include myself in this, we we decided it wasn't maybe the best time to take a sabbatical. So I didn't. So I labored through. We finished this building, had our first two services in here and ha, God loves us so much. He sends a global pandemic called COVID, (laughs) right? Thank you, Jesus. And the whole thing shuts down, right? Now we're, everyone's a televangelist, <laughs> which is kind of fun, right? So we're, doing, we're just trying to figure everything out. And in, in the, the first part of this year, I went back to the leadership at the church, and I, I really said, I think I need to take a sabbatical. And if you, if you could hear the tone in my voice, at this point, I wasn't asking for it. I had, uh, did I bring my tissues, Joe? I... Uh, I was burning out. I have a spiritual advisor who's a counselor, um, licensed therapist, as well as a pastor. He was a pastor, and he was telling me one day about um, his burnout situation. He pastored a church out west, and he burned out, and he was going through, Jeff, when I burn out, man, I'm telling you, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like all, He names three things, and as my knees begin to quake, I said, I have those. I have all of those, all of those things I have. I'm burning out. I'm burning out. And you all didn't know, did you? No. Right? Because I hid it. I took it out on my friends, my family, my kids, my staff. Sorry. Those closest to me knew. So when I decided to go on sabbatical, I left. In July of this year, I left. And um, I went home with the full intention that I was going to go visit churches on Sunday. I was going to go visit other churches and see all the things that they do wrong. You know what I'm saying? Because we got to figure it out. No, it wasn't it. I was going to go be with other people that I can't be with normally. I was going to go visit my friends at Life Foursquare, First Christian, right? My good friends at Maranatha, all these things. And for eight weeks, as my wife and children would, would wake up and go to Renaissance on Sunday, I thought I would get in a car and go to another church. But I would just crawl back in bed after they left and I would just sleep. I was tired. I was way, way tired. About eight weeks into my sabbatical, I called my spiritual advisor and I told him, um, and I have never shared this publicly until 930 this morning. I shared it to the first service. So you're hearing it for the first time, but I've already shared it once because you guys are 
lazy and you sleep in. I'm just not there. <laughs> because there's plenty of room for y'all at the 930. I'm just saying. Oh, was it raining? <gasps> it was raining. That's what it was. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, I called, I called my spiritual advisor and I said, um, every, every pastor that I've talked to personally who has taken a sabbatical at week six or something, they begin to feel refreshed. There's a reset that's taking place. The, the thinness that they feel spiritually and, and physically is beginning to wane. They begin to feel like themselves again. And here I am pushing the corner at week eight, and I'm, I'm no more healthy. And I told, I told him, I said, I, I think we have to do something. And he recommended to me that we begin to look at the process of transitioning to church. You're like, what does transitioning to church mean? Is it, <laughs> right? It, it means that I'm going to step down as lead pastor and let someone else take the helm. And I thought that was my only course. I thought that's the only thing that I could do because I knew the place that I was in that I couldn't continue. And so we're having that conversation. And again, my staff has no idea of this. I have not shared this <laughs> with my wife. It was something I was guarding inside of me. I was, I was wondering, am I going to continue or not? Okay, so um, fast forward, I think week nine or so, um, a friend of mine at a volleyball game that I was at asked me to go to church with him. And he said, Jeff, come to, come to our church. He goes, you know a lot of the people that go there, right? Because I've been like a Christian for 30 years or so, and so I know a lot of people around here. He says, you'll know them, you'll fit right in. I'm like, bet. So I, I go to this church, right? I don't sleep in that day. And I get there, and it was a, a, it was a wonderful church, a smaller church, not that that matters or anything, but it was filled up with families and people, and they were worshiping, and, and, and Jesus was being heralded and proclaimed, and the Bible was being opened, and they were fellowshipping and taking communion. And in the middle of all of this, God began to speak to me, and he said something like this, and I paraphrase it because his voice is so much louder than mine. But he says, Jeff, I'm not finished with you yet. He says, I'm not done. I remember the call that he placed on my life 20 plus years ago when I began ministry that I was unqualified to do so, but with him, he would go with me and it would be successful because he would be with me. And somehow in the midst of these last many years, I've, I've set that aside and began to work. And this is confession to you, but I began to work out of my own strength and my own talents, God given. I mean, you can't look like this without God getting involved. Am I wrong? <laughs> Nick, these are the jokes, bro. You gotta, you gotta help me out here. These are the jokes. But I began to lean on something that, that wasn't him anymore. And I found myself thin spiritually, right? Physically, I just was wore out. So when they asked me the question, Todd, back to you, are you ready to come back? The answer was yes. Finally, now I think I can come back because I think God isn't in fact done with me. In fact, if I am burnt out, and that was the condition of my life, but God can do something even with the burnt out pieces of our lives that he can somehow take those and transition them and make them into something that, that is beautiful to him and would bless other people is all I'm trying to say. 
And, and so um, I come back to church and I'm, I'm ready to be used by God again. There's the yes in my response. But the no says this, Jeff, I know who you are <laughs> and your proclivities to just fall back into the rut that was your life before. And I know how easy it will be for me to overwork again. I know how easy it will be to lean on my own talents and abilities again. I know how easy it would be to do all the things that got me to this place of burnout and, and frustration and depression and all that stuff. It'd be so easy for me to fall into that space again. So I'm, I'm happy and excited to be coming back on one hand, but on the other side, I'm, I was terrified about it. I have this really strange ritual when I preach on Sundays here at the church. Um, while you guys are still um, blissfully sleeping away in your rooms, my alarm goes off at 3.30 a.m. And I rise and I shower, trying not to stir my wife and kids, and I go to work. I'm usually here at the office by 4 o'clock, and I'm preparing my message, right? I've already written it, but I'm rehearsing it because I want it to be good. I want it to be funny. I want it to be polished. I want it to be all of these things. And so... This week, when Joe put me on the schedule to preach this week, <laughs> I made a promise. I was not setting my alarm for 3.30. I was going to pray in the week. I was going to study in the week because I love to study God's word. I love to look at the things God is saying. I love to maybe put it together in a way that would help you understand it. But I was not going to do what I used to do and lean upon all of my abilities. I was going to trust God to do something or it wasn't going to happen. And so I slept in until six o'clock, <laughs> which is like, oh my gosh, it's so great for me. I showered, I came in. In fact, I wasn't the first one here. That never happens. I'm always the first one here. I'm happy to be back. I'm nervous to be back. And so I'm in my room, 6.30, I'm going through my notes, and I'm praying to God because I think there's no other prep work that's necessary to do what I do, maybe even to do what you do, than prayer. And I begin to pray. And I want you to hear the words that came out of my mouth. Lord, in a state of confession, Lord, for the last decade plus, Renaissance has been my life. And the Lord says, therein lies the problem my friend. Therein lies the problem. Now, I, I make this connection because of the, the passage that Joe had given me to preach today. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. We will put the words behind me here and you can follow along there. But I want you to hear my confession that for the past decade, Renaissance has been my life. And, and, and see how the Lord used that to stir up something in me that I think is going to help you today. Starting here in verse 6, this is what John the Apostle writes to fellow Christians. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar. Has made God a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. This is the nuts and bolts. This is John's conclusion here. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in who? His son. For the last decade plus, my life has been renaissance. Do you hear how gross that is to say? God gave us eternal life and this is life. It is his son. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I'd found myself um, burn out, uh, thin spiritually, uh, dealing with all kinds of medical things. I have a, a, a I deal with depression and anxiety, and um, those things came back in my life like a Farrican Ferret train. I was really struggling with anxiety uh, to the point where I was having panic attacks every time I came out to preach. Did you guys know? Could you tell? Yeah, it was terrifying to me. So anyways, I'm reading this passage and I see that the, the life is actually in Jesus Christ, the son, not in, in what we do. Now, this is going to be helpful for all of us. This is what I was trying to point towards is that you and I oftentimes, we make the mistake of misunderstanding this eternal life or this life that God is talking about that's in his son, Jesus. So let's just put some things on the, the ground here. Eternal life. We, we must not mistake it for thinking that God is somehow talking about just a, an addition of years to us. Right, so there's this idea. We get to uh, we follow in love with Jesus, right? Get, have faith in Him, and one day when we die, we get to go to heaven. Everybody says, "Yay, yay, heaven, hell, boo!" This is the booing part. Boo! When no one wants to go to hell, right? Oh, I want to go to heaven, and then somehow when we get there, God adds another year to it, and another year to it, and another year to it, and all of a sudden we're in this thing called eternal life. But the reality is that's not what God is talking about here, eternal life. In fact, if you just think about that logic, it doesn't make any sense because eternal life, if it exists forever that way, then it must have existed forever that way too. Long before you and I were ever born, this thing called eternal life has existed. God is just inviting us to jump in. It's the lazy river at Splash Cove, right? You just jump in, just float around in it. But the invitation is to go in it. But it's... It's not just that it's long and all that, but the Greek word that's translated for eternal, it also means not just quantity, you know, years and years and years, but it speaks to the quality of the life. It, it speaks to the, the goodness, the, 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 the things that, that God gives you in your life. Jesus was speaking to I think the Pharisees or the disciples at some point, John, the same guy who wrote this letter, writes in, in, in his gospel, John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus is proclaiming that there is one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundantly, he says. Uh, could be translated, and life and life to the full is a better way to understand that. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, says this. He says that, Jesus has come to give us a more and better life than we ever dreamed of. Real talk. 
So why don't we feel like that some days? Why was I, by all external measures, reaping success after success after success, feeling so burnt out? This, this certainly can't be the life, right? The, the quality of life that God has called me into. In your own mind now, think, are you living the abundant life? Are you living into the things that you believe Jesus has made available to you? Or like many of us around here, we're feeling like we're living well beneath what God has for us. And if that's true, we don't have to raise our hands, okay? Why? I posit this before us. It's because I think we're trying to draw life from a source that isn't Jesus, now, I've confessed my own story. My, my source was something other, okay? But what's yours? What, what are the things that you're grappling towards that, what is the thing that as you, as you drift off to sleep, right, every night, what is the thing that you're thinking about? Who is the person that means more to you than anyone else? What is the thing that if you didn't have, you just couldn't go on living, and if any of those things are not Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then you and I have attached ourselves to a life source that will not bring us that life. We're in the midst of what society sociologists now call the great resignation. Have you guys been following us on the news? Just nod and I'll move on. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a ton of people quitting their jobs just all over the place. And when I'm not, we're not going to make it a political thing or a vaccine thing or whatever. Just know this. I think there's a bunch of people realizing that the life that they're plugged into ain't, ain't doing it anymore. Uh, in fact, it was well over a year ago, Twitter, it's my only news source. Is that scary? It's, <laughs> it's, it's the only social media I do and it's the only news I get. It's on Twitter. So if you want me to know something, you got to tweet it to me. And, and tweet, uh, Twitter started noticing, pastors and, and, and um, church people that I follow started noticing last year, last year, that uh, there was an exodus of pastors in the church. They're just pulling rip cords and saying, see it, right? Church is going to be fine without me because I can't keep going on. There, there's a lot of this happening in our world today. Uh, and in July of 2021, this year, I think, actually a few months ago, Relevant Magazine uh, had an article, and the author quoted a sociologist that said this, that uh, upwards of 44% of all people will have a faith shift at some point in their life. And the faith shift often comes from some inciting incident, i.e. global pandemic, right, or i.e. some some crisis in your life, that there's oftentimes a faith shift. Now, before we go, right, and we think about all the people deconstructing their faith, yeah, they just got it all wrong. No, hear me. I think a faith shift is necessary for many of us. A faith shift could be this. Someone who does not believe is an atheist or whatever just goes to church because their wife or girlfriend thinks they should, right, and all of a sudden becomes a believer in Christ Jesus. That's a faith shift. There could be people who shift maybe denominations. I don't know if that's a thing, Catholic to Protestant. Yay, we don't know. We just clap at that one, and we just think... Right? There's only a small percentage of people who actually leave the faith of Christianity to go 
away from him altogether. But all that to say there's a faith shift that's happening. I wonder if God isn't using this time right now through this global resignation and all the things that are happening that people are realizing that the life sources that they're plugged into aren't giving them the life that they need and are looking for something else. That was my issue. And I pastor a church. I'm, I'm leading others into supposed life that's good, and I don't, I don't have it myself. Is this, is this troubling any of you? Because it troubles me. So I think the Lord would use something like this to remind us that anything outside of his son Jesus will never satisfy and give us the, light, the life that he wants for us. I think, I'm going to take the word think out of that sentence. I'm convinced many of us in this room need a faith shift. I'm convinced many of the people that aren't in this room are going through one right now, but they think their issue is the church. And it's not. It's that they've, they've, they're, they're trying to suck life out of the church and the church doesn't have it to give. The church is the heralder of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one. You see what I'm saying? So there are many people, and we're not alone in this. Is all I'm saying. We just, all I'm saying, let's embrace this. I don't think the Christians in John's day are any different than the Christians in our day. They're just looking in the wrong place. And so John takes this opportunity to tell them that the eternal life, the good life, the quality of life that you, could, you couldn't even possibly imagine comes from Jesus Christ, and I need you to believe it to be true. And he uses judicial language like that of a courtroom, something like this, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, listen to what I'm saying. God has given us his son, and he came by the water and the blood. What does that mean? I have no idea. What does that mean? We don't know. Most, a lot of people, like, to be honest with you, scholars debate over that. Most believe that what he's saying is that Jesus Christ was publicly professed to be his son at his baptism in the River Jordan. And Jesus went into the water and the spirit descended. When he came up out of the water, the spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the voice of God cried out from the heavens, behold, this is my one and only son. The one I'm well pleased. I screw up the passages all the time. Bear with me. But this is my son is what he's saying. And then the blood is possibly referring to his crucifixion on the cross. Where Joe reminded me this week that the Roman soldier after Jesus had breathed his last said, surely this was the son of God. That there's a public declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he adds another one. The Spirit, capital S, Spirit of Truth, he says, is also testifying to this. And if you look at this, the work that the Spirit has done through the prophets in the Old Testament, all the writings in the Old Testament, all of them are foreshadowing one who would come who is Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone is life found. It's a testimony and he does this publicly for everyone to see. And he uses that language. They testify to the truth. They testify to the truth. And then he says, and if we're going to listen to the testimony of men, like we'll go to court, like traffic court, I don't know, anyone, anyone, right? And the guy stands up and says, this is what happened. This is what happened, right? And if we're, if we're willing to believe what the, that person says happened in a, in a court of law, how much more should we believe the words of God? Because God is, in fact, greater than man. 
In fact, and this could be an aside, but I think it's going to be helpful for so many people in the room here. We have far too often allowed the words of men speak over our lives more than the words of God speak over our lives. That we let people say things like, you'll, you'll never change. Oh, she'll be back. She always comes back. They'll never be able to do it without me. They, and on and on it goes. We hear all these words and they seat themselves inside of us. And yet God is telling us a different story. And God's words are greater in regards to Jesus' son. And I'm telling you, God's words are greater than the testimony of anyone in regards to your life. Paul, the apostle, uses language that when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ and the Spirit indwells them, he says, you have been made new. And so when those thoughts come back or when someone comes up, and say, comes up to you and says, yeah, but you always this, you're always going to this, you're always going to return to the thing or whatever, you go, yep, the old guy used to, but not the new guy, not the new Jeff, not the new, insert your name. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, was baptized, revealed to be his son, did ministry for three plus years, fulfilling a lot of Old Testament prophecies concerning himself, goes to a cross where he uh, doesn't need to die on a cross, but does so for our sake. You know, we learn, the Bible says this, that we are all sinners and we all deserve the punishment that Jesus is taking for us. And he sort of takes our place. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. And so he dies the death that we deserve so we can have the life that he gives us. And he dies on the cross and when he raises from the dead in faith in Jesus, we enter into newness of life. Listen, not when you die. Get that out of your mind. Now, with Jesus Christ in you, you have, you have the eternal life in you. That's the language he even uses. Whoever has the son has life. Not will get it one day when they breathe their last. Are you feeling this yet? Uh, okay. All right. So, like, I'll start over because, like, this is so important. This is so good. And he does all of this publicly. It wasn't in a back corner a dark room or a back room somewhere else where you go, hmm, I don't know if it really happened or not. Publicly, Jesus was crucified. Publicly, he was baptized. Publicly, the spirit testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. Our response, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is to believe the testimony of God or to believe what others say Jesus is. He's just a moral teacher. He's just a good guy that lived like the Hindus believe he was a wise man, but not fully divine or any of these other things. And John is like, no, as he's addressing the Gnostics in his day, which I think Joe and Josh have done a good job uh, talking about these last many weeks have been, we've been working through this book. Those people were teaching the wrong Jesus, the Jesus that wasn't fully divine, the Jesus that wasn't the son of God, the, the Jesus, the son of God that didn't really die on a cross or all those things. And that Jesus can't help you, John is saying. But there is one who can. That's his son. So I finish with this and I'm out of time. 
And I will say this, I had a whole lot more fun than I thought I was going to have today. So there's that. <laughs> that was, it was, yeah, it's like riding a bike, they say. The response is, what do we do with it? And I think that's what God wants, is he wants us to respond. We don't get the, the liberty to, to not deal with Jesus. You have to deal with him. And you accept him for who he is and what, the, what God says about him, or you don't. I, I, we, don't we don't get another option. If you're here in this room and you feel some conviction that you have given your devotion, your thoughts, everything to somebody or something other than Jesus, you have a wonderful opportunity to, uh, church word, repent. And repent always sounds so negative, but if you understood what it meant, it just means to leave, leave whatever you're doing behind. It's like when... Um, when I was a kid, this was before cell phones in the glory days, anyone, and it was time for dinner, like parents would ring a bell or they'd do a thing and you knew it was dinner time. Like, it's like you leave whatever you're doing and go home because it's time. This is that moment for you. That if you feel like, like, like Jeff, I, your story is my story. I didn't get a sabbatical, <laughs> sucker. You didn't get one, but you, but you feel thin and you feel burnout and, what, and you don't know if you can keep going. Maybe that's you. I'm just saying it's possible you're looking to draw life from something that isn't Jesus. And he's blowing the horn, ringing the bell or whatever, and he's like, leave that behind and come home to me. Come home. Believe in Jesus and enter into this thing called eternal life. And hear me, there is no shame in what you've done. None. Because that shame was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. You have 2,000 years ago. There is no shame. You need a faith shift in your life. <laughs> Be one of the 44%, right, who are changing their opinion on things. Be like me. Be like me who heard the voice of God saying, I'm not finished with you yet. I could do more with you. But if you try to suck life from that thing again, it'll kill you. <laughs> Be like me. Return to Jesus. Just proclaim with your, your heart and your voice that God is greater than everything else you could possibly imagine. That his testimony concerning his son is greater than what your friends think about Jesus. Your spouse thinks about Jesus. I love your friends and your spouses. That's fine. But I'm telling you, whatever they think about him, Jesus is greater than that. I mean, unless I got to figure it out. If I got to figure it out, it's, a good, it's all good. Jesus is the source of eternal life. And whoever has the Son has life. Amen? I just ran out of time. That's good. So I want to pray. Would you please stand to your feet, please? I do want to acknowledge um, so many people, some in the room and some at the first service and, and even people outside of our community have for the last many weeks and months been sending me things via text or email, um, phone conversations, just 
encouraging me and saying that you're praying for me. And if you only knew how God used that to get me through this really dark season. So just know that God can use you to help others because you really helped me. I pray that my words today would help you. That the word of God, as Josh said earlier, a single word can, can radically change your life. And I pray you got that today. So Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can gather publicly and openly and we can proclaim the goodness of who God is. We thank you, God, that your son Jesus bore our sins on a cross, that he was willing to take a death that we deserve, that he would be buried in the grave and he would rise from the dead and that we have faith in him that we too can rise after we die, but also rise into new creation and live this thing called eternal life now. God, we thank you for the abundance that you provide for us. And God, if our eyes are closed to see it, would you just strip the blinders away that we might enter into it? God, we love you and we thank you. We want our voices to proclaim how good and great you are. In every situation, no matter difficulty or whatever, I know, God, you use all situations in my life to call me back to you. So it might seem like a mountain in front of you now, It might seem like the most difficult thing you've ever gone through in your life. I'm telling you, there's a God who's bigger. There's a God who is greater than that. And he loves you. And he wants to spend time with you. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 